Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Defender's Dialogue with Car and Adam. This is episode 34, and I'm calling it Too Many Heroes Spoiled the Plot. <laughs> there was a plot? Eh, kind of. I'm Adam Phillips, president of Untold Stories Marketing, and with me is... Car D'Angelo, owner of Earth 2 Comics in Sherman Oaks in Northridge, California. I should always say, a plot... Such as it is. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, it was still fun, the, the finale of this three-parter, but it, it could have been something else. I don't know what. So I don't really have any notes right now except a couple of things I'm going to bring up, like, during the stories okay. as we go through them, you know? Because they're related to previous issues but will be referenced within the comic itself. Kind of, yeah. Okay. And also, I haven't edited last week's episode yet, really, so... I might come up with more stuff later from last week. Who knows? So those are tricks of the trade. Yeah. You come up with a lot of your notes because you're listening to the whole thing all over again. And I'm going, sacre bleu. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> That's right. When I'm editing, I have a bad French accent. You could, you could be one of the villains in this book. Yes. A very specific villain in this book. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So I wanted to mention before we started, I just looked this up moments ago. And did you know that they ran that, this this issue, 64, has a still only 35 cents on the cover. Yeah. They ran that all the way from issue 60, I think it was two, to 70 for seven or eight issues. It was like, we're going up sometime, but who knows when. What were DC forty cents already? Is that I mean that would have to be it. They're they're saying still only thirty five cents in relation to someone else's price change. That I that could be. I, I don't know the answer. Anyway, but issue sixty four went on sale July twenty fifth, nineteen seventy eight, and it has a cover by George Perez, inked by Frank Giacoya, in which the Valkyrie's front and center swinging her sword at. Some villains, but also like Nighthawk and Falcon sort of flying up behind her. There's a guy shooting at her with a machine gun. There's the only recognizable villain on this cover, and he's not very recognizable, is that guy in the front. He looks like the two gun kid, but I don't think it is. I don't I know what it is. Pecos. Pecos. Pecos? Yeah. It finally gets mentioned in the story, but he was one of the ones I was trying to figure out. Yeah. And 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 theoretically, the, the guy with the beard could be I mean, there's another um, Bob the Bear or something. Dan, the, there, it, I can't even remember what it is, but wow. he's got a very weird name that you okay. really don't find out till very late in the story. I thought it was the Mad Thinker, and he let his hair grow out. There you go, because because he, he was tired of he wanted a beard to stroke while he was doing all his mad thinking. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I I never heard of Bob the Bear as a villain. Anyway, plus he's very angry at that barrel. There's like a barrel behind her that she's... <laughs> oh, no, it's not a barrel. It's a, it's a, like a steam pipe kind of thing, you know? It's a steam pipe because does the Staten Island Ferry run on steam? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it looks like some kind of a... And the Statue of Liberty is not a villain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, not not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Anyway. Well, she kind of was in Ghostbusters too. Yes. So there you go. Anyway, fun cover. Oh, um, I forgot to mention. Caption at the bottom that says, Friend and foe, beware! The Valkyrie gone mad! 
So yeah, and in, in, in terms of the pencils, I mean, this feels like a very loose Perez or a very heavy Giacoya inking job. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. Because everything's kind of in place, but the faces don't have the, um, you know, the body language is definitely Perez, but the, the, the you know, faces don't have that kind of subtlety. I agree, but it still looks pretty good, but it, it, it does feel like a heavy inking job. And yes, they are on the Staten Island Ferry. I forgot to mention, that's the setting here. So we begin our story. The credits, David Anthony Kraft, Extraordinary Stories, Salvi Sema, and Don Perlin, Incredible Illustrations. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and Do we think that's a straight-up penciling inking? Since no. Does that mean Buscema was more breakdowns? And, and, and yeah, I, I think one of the previous issues that Salvi Sema just drew said it was breakdowns, and right. Jim Mooney was finishes. Right. And that's kind of a sort of standard way that they got new pencilers into the Marvel groove was giving them the opportunity to work over uh, a more seasoned pencilers breakdowns to sort of, you know, get that storytelling thing going. So, you know, in this day and age, it was Salvi Sama and Don right. Perlin was the new guy. But um, Don Perlin's not really new, though. He wasn't new in comics as a whole. He was new to Marvel. Okay. I was actually looking into his career a little bit, and he had been drawing for a bunch of the smaller companies, including Charlton, for many years, and then he came to Marvel. He actually um, was one of the very late period people who worked in Will Eisner's studio, and there's on his Wikipedia page, there's a quote from him saying, like, yeah, you know, I was hired by Eisner, but I, like, never spoke to him after that. He was never there because he was always out working on uh, right. PS Magazine. That's how late in the spirits run he was there so he says will uh what's the name um jules pfeiffer excuse me would come in every once in a while with a story he had written like once a week or so and he'd sit down with perlin and they'd mess around with the concepts for the layouts and then he'd do all that and then like eisner would do some of the finishes at another time but he never really saw eisner right so go figure but yeah, Perlin was a big deal after a few years of Marvel. In fact, um, on my Marvel Age magazine blog, Make Mine Marvel Age, um, I just covered issue 55 in which they announced that Don Perlin was the new managing art director under John Romita. Oh. And this, this is like 1986, but Romita would be officially in charge of cover design and Perlin would be in charge of art corrections, and the apprentice program that um, was a big change. And, you know, he drew a lot of other stuff in Marvel, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was saying. I thought he'd already been doing a lot of – I mean, maybe he wasn't typical superhero stuff, so maybe that no. was the Sal Buscema process because but he was doing <laughs> Ghost Rider and – my jazz band. What? That's my jazz combo. The Sal Buscema process. <laughs> sorry, sorry to jump in. Interrupted your flow. I thought no, that's it's one of my favorite type of jokes. I, I love, always love that. But yeah, but I mean, he had been doing Werewolf and he had been doing Ghost Rider. Oh, you're right. He had been doing some of that stuff. My apologies. But but, but those are but but I think there is a difference if they're trying if they're if the horror stuff is falling away and they're trying to get him into the Marvel superhero stuff. They may then your concept of like, hey, 
learn a little bit from Sal so you understand the you know the the bang pow of it all is not a bad I mean I think it's a good um you know that is a good instinct mm-hmm. yeah well that's my what my gut tells me but I don't know if it's actually accurate that I think that's a theme of this this program yes <laughs> so the story's called D-Day but there's a caption before and after it which I'm going to read we hereby officially declare this to be D-Day, D for disaster, dilemma, and just too doggone many defenders. Ouch. Yeah. And then we pick up right where we left off last time. The police are threatening to arrest all the people claiming to be defenders, hero and villain alike. And basically there's a face-off on the streets of New York where Hercules is yelling at Sagittarius and Sagittarius is yelling at Hercules and the cops going, you know... I don't care what either of you say, basically. I'm arresting the bunch of you. And Hellcat tells him, we're the good guys and we can prove it. And she says, well, I have an Avengers ID. It must be my other costume. But then Hercules says, I've got an Avengers ID. And the cop says, it looks like, you know, how do we know that's real and not a forgery? And while they're all <laughs> standing around talking about it, the villains all start taking off. Well, here, here's what I have to say, though. Yeah, please. Hercules is wearing less clothing than <laughs> yet he's got his Avengers ID. I don't even want to know where he keeps it. <laughs> yeah, really. In his headpiece. Oh, in his headband. Oh, like yeah. a we used to do that with like like playing cards. You'd put them in your hat band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. His press card, you know. Yeah. So they're getting away, and among the people getting away are Plant Man. Which, I mean, they're, they're, obviously a lot of villains are getting away. But they show Plant Man, Beetle, and Whirlwind, all, Whirlwind. Getting all, all getting away, all in green costumes, I might add. But the thing I wanted to bring up was how, and I think I may have mentioned this in passing last time, but we've got several villains here who have fought the Defenders before in some form or other. No comment on the fact that they're facing them again. It just sort of happens. They're just being treated like minor villains and... No, you know, as though they never met the defenders before. It's weird. Well, well, the only defender here though is Hellcat, and she was not part of the whole um, Plant Man experience, which was which was my band in college. The Plant Man experience. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. In this scene, it's just um, Hellcat and Hercules's groups, but Nighthawk's group, and Nighthawk's pretty much the only one who they would have recognized. Uh, he ain't there, but. These people are all calling themselves defenders, so surely they would be able to say, you know, I, I, I remember fighting some people named the defenders. You don't look like them, though. Anyway, it's just weird. So the, the villains are getting away, and Hercules goes, aha, this proves we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, <laughs> which is pretty silly. They go chasing after the villains. The police go chasing after the defenders and saying, you know, someone's going to have to pay for all these damages, all this damage you've done, and that someone's you. Right. And the villains bust into Grand Central Station, which is, man, that does not look like Grand Central Station. It's like a wall with bright yellow paint color on it, like bright yellow. Yeah, I don't know if that was sort of going for, there's kind of a, a bronze or gold effect, but yeah, that, that's, that's far from it. Yeah, I don't know what they thought, but they're just unleashing all kinds of chaos on the commuters, uh, you know, there's like Batrock Z Leaper leaping over the turnstiles and a guy getting a hot dog in the face. And 
Sagittarius says to a man getting a hot dog in the face, quite frankly, the subway is no place for hot dogging. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And then White Tiger leads the way for Hercules because he knows the subway systems being a native New Yorker. Uh, You know, no one opens the door for a native New Yorker car. Right. (laughs) Anyway, they're just having a big slugfest on the subway platform. It's Whirlwind versus Captain Ultra, White Tiger versus Batrogazy Leaper, Iron Fist fighting the Meteor Man, and Hercules fighting the Blob. (laughs) They're all just belting at each other. But then some of the villains jump on the subway train and take off, except that Black Goliath tries to stop the train with one hand while he bends the subway track up so he can use it as like an anchor to hold on to. So that there's your damage that the cops are talking about. Right. Oh, and I like this moment where they, they get on the train and Electro says, Electro's powers will double the train speed, which I thought was a funny concept. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, just so much throwaway. It's like this is like you read every piece of dialogue, but it's just like throwing you a lot of information that ultimately isn't really doesn't you know, mean much. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're going to add this electro threat, but it's you know, it, it you know, it doesn't really add to the to the. I guess it makes the train. It does seem like the train's going a little faster, but but it's just like every time they have an opportunity to have a villain say something that he can add to the mix, they do it, and it doesn't really mean anything or. There's no visible real difference. So the heroes are going, oh, they're getting away. What are we going to do? Captain Ultra says, I can track them from above ground with my scanner vision. Okay. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't know that, about that. Did you know about that? No. And well, and here's one of the funny things also about Captain Ultra when he's in the fight with, um, who is it? It's uh, a whirlwind. Says, yo, yeah. what's your name, Captain Isor? So now here's this character oh, that yeah. Whirlwind could have no idea he's ever seen him before, but he still knew he was Captain something. <laughs> I thought that was funny too. It's like, why Captain? <laughs> so the heroes get back up to street level. They're following Captain Ultra, who's like following the train with his, I guess, X-ray vision. And then there's the art actually depicts sort of a cutaway view of the train underneath the street. It's a little odd, but you know. And then uh, we cut away to this Empire State University where Dollar Bill is meeting up with Turk and, uh, I'm sorry, Professor Turk and Ledge, who uh, Dollar Bill calls the stickoid. And, you know, Dollar Bill sometimes feels like more like a 14-year-old than a college man. He's not much of a college man, is he? <laughs> uh, so he kind of says, hey, glad to see you up and about. And then he kind of bl- brushes him off to because he wants to talk to he wants to talk to Professor Turk. So they're all the three of them are walking along saying and Turk, Professor Turk. I keep calling him just Turk because I keep thinking of that daredevil guy. Then I have an idea for that may intrigue you, Professor Turk says. Meanwhile, then we cut to another group of defenders in New York City, and a woman is um, getting her purse stolen. So all those defenders like drop down from the sky on this poor kid, who turns out to be the same kid who stole the car last issue. Now he's stole, stealing his mom's purse because he wants his allowance. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he went to this. Well, this is not a funny enough gag, really, to bring. Back. <laughs> no. What really, what really happens that's of interest is that 
Nighthawk's taking it all pretty seriously and all the other defenders are going, this is a stupid waste of our time. And Nighthawk says, listen, I'm the boss around here and I call the shots and everyone, all, the whole group's going like, screw you, buddy. No one talks to me in that tone of voice. So Tagak, Polaris, Nova, uh, Marvel Man, and Son of Satan all say, you know, we're out of here. We quit. And Nighthawk's like, oh, well, whatever, you know. This just hasn't been my day. When has it been your day, Nighthawk? And did you see that? Where I, Did we miss that line? There's a line where Tagak earlier says something about he can't see. So is Tagak blind as well? And wasn't he like he a daredevil? Did say that. He, he did say that. I don't remember where. Maybe it's later. He said something like, even though Tagak can't see, dot, dot, dot. I, th I think it must be coming up because this is the first time Tagak showed up in the issue. But I do remember that. And I thought, wait, he's blind? I don't know. We'll we'll see if it comes up again. Okay. Oh, he oh it's right. You know what? It's on this very page. What matter if Tagak is blind? So far, there are no supervillains to be seen. It's just buried in the dialogue here. Oh, oh, there. Oh, yeah. He, and he's hiding behind the kid. All right. So you can't really even you can't really see him. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, those guys all take off, and then a bunch of ordinary people are running by Nighthawk. And so he figures he better see what's going on. And he gets to the New York Stock Exchange trading floor where he sees a whole bunch of villains menacing the area, including the Shocker. I just want to see if I can recognize these guys. The Shocker, Leapfrog, the Melter, uh, what's his name? Not Scorpio. Um, Libra. Libra, yeah. Boomerang? Boomerang is in there, yeah. And oh, Toad, yes. Toad. And the guy in the and the guy in the lower corner is the guy That's I was saying from the cover. From the cover. He's, he's something bare, um, but he's like yeah. a, he, it, it's like three pages before the end of the issue where he says his name. Ah. Living, did you mention the Living Laser? Oh, the Living Laser. That's right. I, I said the Melter, but I think oh, you're right. It's the Living Laser. It's the Living Laser. Yeah. Yeah. And there's two Toads. There's the. Mutant Toad and also Leapfrog. Or did you yes, say Leapfrog? Yes, yeah. I did say Leapfrog. Yeah. And Le I love that Leapfrog, I mean Leapfrog, Toad rather, is just sort of, he's got his like arms wrapped around Libra's leg. He's like being a, a toad. He's being, he is. <laughs> he's being a toady. <laughs> it's really like, you know, a, a toddler. Just like, you know, holding onto his mother's leg like uh, he doesn't want to let go. Anyway. The shockers demanding a bunch of money, and the guy behind the counter at the stock exchange saying, "We don't have money here. You have to. We have to do a buy order. We have to. It's tri tricky. It's not, you know, and but it takes a mere panel um, to get a million clams in his very own Swiss bank account. I, it's one. It's a wonder the other villains aren't all going. Hey, I want a million dollars too. Right." <laughs> Then Nighthawk comes smashing in through the window, and um, he realizes he's there's a lot of villains in here, but if he makes a lot of noise, maybe they'll think there's more of me, which is a weird plan. Well, but, what's funny, too, is that he he's making – he wants – the um, the banker makes the million dollars for Shocker by, like, long-selling um, Richmond, uh, Richmond Enterprises. Enterprises stock. Yes, you're right. And it does seem – it's either a joke or, you know, I don't think it comes, you know, it never comes up in the future, but it is that kind of funny thing, which would be funny if, you know, Kyle Richmond saw the shocker at a board meeting or something. 
Yes. Um, at the bottom of this page, he Nighthawk gets blasted by the Melter. It is the Melter. I was, I was right. Oh, the Melter. Oh, because he's got the um. It's it is coming out of his his belly. I guess you're right. That would be a Melter kind of thing. Yes. A very similar costume to Living Laser. I know. Really, the Melter, Living Laser, and the Unicorn should all just form a team. The guys who like stand there and blast out of weird parts of their body. Exactly. <laughs> you can track the villain by which part of their body they blast from. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Nighthawks collapsed. The other villains are going to leave. And then um, he sort of gets up again and starts wa- flying away in a wobbly way. And then we cut back to the subway track where here comes the train. Somehow the villain, the heroes are in front of the train now. And Hercules is standing on the track and slams his shoulder right into the train to stop it. Dakum, it says. They kind of work that into every issue now, don't they? Oh, yeah. It's amazing that the editor just said, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, All the villains pile out and everyone starts fighting. And I remember thinking this, the inking on this page was particularly heavy for what it's worth. The blob gets Hellcat in a chokehold. And he's choking her, choking her, choking her. And she's like almost passing out when suddenly she unleashes a giant blast of psychic energy and it knocks everybody um, on the ground. She's the only one standing and she says to herself, Moondragon never told me I'd be able to do it, ever be able to do anything like this. So she was as surprised as anyone else. Of course, they're all unconscious. Yeah, I mean, and she's also kind of knocked out the train. The, the train is like off the, you know, kind of. Well, I mean, Hercules smashed it up good anyway. Include, and, and weren't there, you know. Oh, it's, oh, you're right. Oh, it's already been, right. That was Dakum. Yeah, so that's already, yeah. okay. So it wasn't, I, I, I think one. people could have been injured. Well, maybe she maybe she put an image of a giant squid in their in their head psychically, and that would have you know. Oh yeah, that, that would blame someone else. <laughs> right. Nighthawk is uh, reunited with Valkyrie and her group of defenders, and they all kind of take off to find the bad guys again, and they're going down to the docks, where um, <laughs> it's the Staten Island ferry docks, and there's yeah, there he is, Pecos. I never heard of Pecos before. Where's it? Like, who is he? You know? Oh, it's not the bear. Joe the gorilla. There he is on the next Joe page. The gorilla. Good God. I never heard of him either. I, I vaguely think I heard of Joe the gorilla, but I've never heard of Pecos. Maybe he's a two gun kid villain. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it would have to. Pe- Pecos has a. Yeah. I mean, who? I imagine maybe it's. You know, maybe did they bring in some people from, you know, Ghost Rider or something? Maybe. For Don Perlin? I don't know. I don't know. Avengers 77 oh is Pecos's first appearance. Wow. And it's, what's the... Plucked from obscurity. For higher Avengers. And the Avengers, yeah, wind up in some sort of Old West kind of thing. Okay. I don't know. Very bizarre. Yeah, um, right. And, and, and I'm going to look up Joe the Gorilla, too, just because we're... Good, good, good. I'll keep going in the mo- for the moment, yeah. which is that everyone gets on the Staten Island. All the villains get on the Staten Island ferry, and the heroes are right behind them getting on the Staten Island ferry, too, except Libra and Toad take off. And Toad's already calling Libra master. I don't think this uh, relationship lasts very long, though. <laughs> they never do. No. <laughs> 
So then they're fighting it out. The villains and the defenders are fighting it out on the deck of the Staten Island Ferry when all they really wanted was a good 50 cent hot dog. But but Valkyrie is having some kind of weird episode because she's look she's looking around and instead of seeing the villains that she thought she was going to see, she sees trolls like in a boat with axes and things like that that are coming to attack. So she's having some kind of weird episode. She she thinks everyone's toads, not uh, trolls, not just the here, not just the villains, but the heroes as well. Right, and she's and, and she's kind of in, in her mind also that the Staten Island Ferry. She's she's seeing like a yes, Viking ship, a Viking ship, and she also sees herself in her old costume. Right, her classic Valkyrie outfit. Yes, the one that's fit for singing opera. Everyone's getting just blasted off the Staten Island Ferry by Valkyrie. I mean, there's a pretty funny panel at the bottom here where it's like eight or ten characters who are all just sort of flying up like they've been hit from below by Valkyrie. And uh, Nighthawk is kind of comes running up to her going like, great job, Val, you really, you know, routed them. But she looks around and thinks he's a troll too. She grabs him by the collar and holds him up in the air and is about to hit him when he's yelling like, hey, hey, it's me, it's Kyle, what are you doing? And she kind of comes out of her her spell and realizes like something's wrong here. I don't know what's happening. She's shaking like a leaf. She's upset. All the other heroes are going like Falcon and Jack of Hearts are saying to each other, I can't believe what kind of a day we've had. This team is not worth sticking around for. So they're all kind of, (laughs) they're going to leave. There's some really nice Sal Buscema pacing on that realization with um, Valkyrie. Yes. Definitely. Kind of three panel across where, you know, she has one facial expression, then she's sort of realizing what she's doing, and then she's recognizes it's Nighthawk, and it's all just played off, you know, a series of, you know, close-up yeah. panels. Yes. Yeah, that that is definitely something he, he excels book. at. Good comic books. Final page of the story where Valkyrie sort of collapsed, and uh, Nighthawk's comforting her, and she says, she says, what earthly physician could hope to heal, let alone comprehend this seething conflict, this inner war between my Asgardian persona and the mortal body of Barbara Norris? So first mention of Barbara Norris in dozens of issues or that there was a problem of any kind, I guess. Yeah. And I was thinking about Jack Norris too. Like, I guess he went to get that job with Nick Fury and that's the last we've seen of him. For a while so far. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll come back, but yes. He has been pretty well dropped out of the story. Anyway, so this is not quite the end of the story, but it's darn close because the last few panels are back to good old Soviet Russia. (laughs) Fearless leader. (laughs) Too bad we can't go back to Moscow. And there are a bunch of scientists sort of standing around talking about Red Guardian's situation and how how do we deal with a living being of pure atomic energy? They're, They're all trying to figure out what they're going to do or how they're going to hold her back from doing whatever she wants once she realizes how much power she has and how little they have. When suddenly someone comes running in in a soldier's uniform saying that disaster has struck. Disaster, I says. Codename Sergei has been located and he's in the forbidden area and reawakened his unholy creation. And so all mankind is doomed, they say. Next, action, adventure, and high drama behind the Iron Curtain in Of Ambitions and Giant Amoebas, plus a special guest star appearance by Millie the Model, 
honest. That had yeah, me that's... more excited than seeing uh, the presence again. I'll tell you that much. Yes. Yeah. Even a little bit, we saw the amoeba blobby guy uh, creature from last issue or the issue before. It was like, okay, it's a big monster. Well, they didn't fit in a page in this. Whoopty freaking do. Uh -huh. <laughs> there, there was no little subplot page in this one to advance that story, except for you know this. Uh, that, yeah. This little bit. But what cracks me up is they call him Codename Sergi. Why is Sergey his code name? Isn't is this just his name? Sergey his name? Isn't yeah, the good presence his code name? <laughs> yeah, right. So a couple notes, please. Tell Some me more was, about Joe the Bear. Uh, Joe the Gorilla. Oh, Joe the Gorilla. <laughs> okay, actually, I will tell you about Joe the Gorilla. Joe the yes. Gorilla appeared in the same issue of Avengers as our friend Pecos. Really, and. Basically, that was a story called Avengers for or Heroes for Hire, uh -huh. and it was about a villain who had um, named Cronus, who had hired other villains, such as the names Captain Scrag, uh, Joe the Gorilla, Onion Head, Pecos. Onion Head? Onion Head. I don't know. Was he from uh, uh, Steven Universe? That one of those onion? I think it was from uh, our Crumb comic. <laughs> Pinstripe um, and oh Sweet God. William. Also, um, I'm still hung up on the name Cronut, by the way. Cronut, not Cronut, Cronus. <laughs> but I don't think it's the. I don't think he's any relation to the. There's other Cronuses that have shown up, but I don't think. Yeah, more um, than a couple. <laughs> and, he, and Cronus put together a group of villains to sort of study their thievery methods or something. It's 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 not a story that I think. And and one of the problems with the story is it also has a. Um, character named Cornelius Van Lunt. Oh, we talked about him. Did we? Yeah, he's the guy who eventually he becomes a sort of a running subplot character who's like a slumlord. And then eventually Steve Englehart turned around and made him Leo of the Zodiac. The oh, leader okay. of the Zodiac. Well, I guess they wanted to deal with him in some way. Um, apparently, um, Roy Thomas, you know, did have made a glitch in this story because he said that Cornelius Van Lunt owned Avengers Mansion, even though it had right. been established that Avengers Mansion was actually the Stark ancestral home. Yes. So, um, so this story may or may not be canon, but you know, here are <laughs> Joe the Gorilla again, and 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 those are really their their only two two appearances. So I'm going to guess. You know, in there, you know, we, we talk about our gut instincts. My gut instinct is that was like David Kraft's first issue of Avengers or something like that. I mean, I don't know. No, 1970. No, that's he, he would have been reading comics. Yeah. Longer than yeah. That. I remember this cover. I'm looking at it because it's a oddly it's such a well-drawn cover for such a nothing scene. The Avengers are wrecking a building or doing construction yeah. work while Cornelius Van Lunt stands on a porch or uh, something and, and tells them, keep working, you guys. Right. And it, it is an old way. You know, I thought it was, I thought that it was like a, um, a desert they were in. I didn't realize they're in an excavation site. They're in a yeah, um, yeah, yeah. construction site. That's right. why it's kind of looks like dirt and ridges, but yes, there's skyscrapers in the background. So that was my error. And, and Scarlet Witch has the wrong color hair. <laughs> yes, gotta say it. You're right. It's, it's, a, it's a ten year tradition of Marvel comics. <laughs> it is crazy. I like the uh, Black Panther with the pickaxe. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Oh, and this is also the period, uh, the long period, where 
Clint Barton can't decide what hero to be. Oh, this is Clint as Giant Man. Yep. Yeah, this is a strange crew. I mean, and it's all this. I mean, you got three people with interrelationships. You've got Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Vision. Mm-hmm. And no, Hawkeye was never was was Hawkeye sweet on the Scarlet Witch at one point in the old days. Yes, before Black Widow. Okay, so there's a little bit. Of... Remember, that's why he left the Avengers to join the Defenders because uh, Scarlet Witch wouldn't, if you'll pardon the expression, give him a tumble. Oh, jeez, that's right. But yeah, it's, it's a strange, and and it seems it was a. I don't know if it was what the fiat was from who, maybe because Roy wanted wanted to write these characters and not have to deal with the other stories that he wasn't writing, but it seems Iron Man and, um, you know, Iron Man, Cap and Thor, the big three of the Avengers uh-huh. are, are real. This is a period where they're not there. Oh yeah. They kind of, I guess, don't come back to like, um, Kree scroll war. Maybe so. Yeah. Weird. All right. Um, ready to move on. No, no, two other things about the... Oh, well, um, there's more. Excellent. No, I said no letters page. They run that Hulk ad again for the Hulk magazine. Even though Hulk is in the corner box, he's not in the issue. Um, so oh, yeah, of course. I but forgot there's, that. And there's a great Stan soapbox about bigotry, which I thought was just kind of timely. But the funny thing about it, in terms of it being timely, and then you can make timely Atlas puns as well, I suppose. <laughs> but... The soapbox begins with Stan saying, I did a college. A lot of Stan soapboxes at this point are usually responses to things that came up at some of his college visits. And I'm sure that he probably brought in inspiration. Hey, we were talking about this at the college thing. Write that up, you know? So yeah. someone said, hey, Stan, in, in, in the, at the end of the 60s, you wrote in Stanley's soapbox that you wanted to talk about bigotry, but, you know, you really needed to put your mind to it because it was such a big topic. So you're going to, you know, you're going to sit down and think about it before you just, you know, publish something off the top of your head. Did Uh you ever publish that column? And they realized he didn't. (laughs) So, (laughs) so 10 years later, he, uh, he, he wrote it and, and it's a, you know, it means a very, you know, simple way of explaining that, you know, you know, his definition of, uh, you know, bigotry, it comes in many, forms and shapes but it's most easily recognized in the form of cruel and mindless generalizations such as when you hear some yo-yo say all italians are like this or all germans are like that or all women's are so and so or all blacks or all catholics or all jews or all redheads or whatever are are like this and it's like yeah that's you know boiling it down that's probably you know the simplest way to 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 say it but I, I do like looking back and, you know, in terms of some of the stories we read that were, you know, the Sons of the Serpent story and things that were kind of progressive. I mean, it is kind of cool that Marvel Comics was on the right side of history, you know, uh, yeah. through, through all this. I mean, and not that any other comic company was, you know, was saying, you know, like, you know, what's the, all this about civil rights? <laughs> <laughs> they weren't on the wrong side of history. They just didn't yeah. really make a, a stand. Yeah. You know, I, I think there were writers in, 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 you know, in D.C., certainly younger writers and, you know, uh, you know, who would write stories that would touch on certain social issues, but not in the, the sure. way that D.C. would. And certainly you never read a letter column, I don't think, you know, I mean, maybe if Denny O'Neill was writing letter columns in, in, in you know, Green Lantern, Green Arrow or something. But, uh-huh. you know, you wouldn't just be, ha- you wouldn't, you know, I mean, there wasn't, I mean, Stan Soapbox was in every comic. 
You know, I mean, you didn't have anything like this where it represented the company, you know, Carmine Infantino or even, you know, uh, uh, you know, none of the, you know, Bob Haney wasn't writing, <laughs> writing, you know, uh, opinion pieces in the letters pages, you know, going, hey. Right. Like even when DC started doing stuff sort of like that um, in the Dick Giordano era, it wasn't like there was no morality to it. It was just sort of a, hey, here's what's happening, kids. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that was, yeah. I mean, and yeah, Jeanette's stuff was great. But that was, I mean, and that I like, because that was always bringing you into the business. You know, she was always sort well, of Which like, was fun in its own way. Yeah, don't get yeah. me wrong. She was, she was pulling the curtain back that way. And again, the fact that she was a woman publisher of yeah. a comic book company, I think just said so much on its own as well. I mean, True. certainly we're all like, oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Um, no. Ah. And we're going to have to talk about this issue. <laughs> it came out, issue 65 of The Defenders came out August 29th, 1978. And it has a November cover date, cover by Keith Pollard, inked by Terry Austin. And I, I kind of dig this cover, even though it's got floating heads. And basically <laughs> the, the floating heads of Nighthawk, Valkyrie, Hellcat, and Hulk are all floating uh, as they would over Red Guardian, who's sort of caught in some kind of big Uzi. Well, it, it's the amoeba, but it's just hard to tell what it is because it looks more it, like water. It looks like sea foam. Yeah, sea foam, right. But it's the giant amoeba, and she's yeah. blasting at it with her eyes, and it's and there's skeletons to be seen, things like that. Right, and, you get a kind of, of horror... Uh... 70s horror look to it yeah and you know what i like about it truthfully is that even though look keith pollard's a pretty great penciler but terry austin elevates him terry um, austin elevates everyone he sure did at this point in particular yes he really was just real at the top of his game i mean that valkyrie face looks like dick giordano might have inked it it's just that sharp yeah and mm-hmm. the hulk i mean that's such a you know again it's Excellent. It's not a con. It's a unique interpretation, and so, but it's still the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, it's just great. And there's a caption at the bottom that says, "The Red Guardian lost in the secret lair of the slime creature." So, okay. <laughs> of course, and I don't know if the Hulk is really watching this because, spoiler alert, the Hulk's not in this issue. <laughs> yeah, right. The Hulk's really. We don't know what's going on with the Hulk lately. Well, here's my gut. I yeah. think. They're wrestling with two things at this moment. One uh-huh. is because now we're like two pilots in or two TV movies into the Hulk. And I think the series is dropping right around this time because it yeah. dropped around November. So, I mean, we're, you know, so I think they're playing their bets of there's a lot of Hulk going on, <laughs> but there's also, but at the same time, he's got to have his own magazine. So they don't necessarily want to over. So I'm sure there was also kind of a mandate of like, write him out of this book for a little bit until we figure it out. Oh yeah. That could be, I think that sounds reasonable. However, it is a little weird that we've now boiled the defenders down to a lot of characters who do not have their own comic. And you know, that's usually like the anchor of at least somebody in the team should have its own, his or her own comic so that the kids who buy Captain America or whatever will also buy the team he's on. Right. So well, I think he, kind of, he does come back for the next storyline, but I think it's, it, yes. you know, like I said, I think something was sort of set up. And also in terms of the Defenders for Hire story, you really couldn't have the Hulk because 
because then, then, then you have the Hulk running rampant in, in New York. It's become, and that kind of takes over the story. Right, which they've done also 97 times by now. Right. <laughs> no more Hulk in New York. No more Hulk takes Manhattan. Yeah, right. So let's see. This story is called Of Ambitions and Giant Amoebas. And it is written by Dave Kraft. Artwork by Don Perlin and Bruce D. That's Bruce D. Patterson. So there you go. Cool. And uh, we start off with a splash page of the defenders and a bunch of cops um, all be all in the subway. And Hellcat is talking to Lieutenant Chris Keating, or as he puts it, I'm Lieutenant Chris Keating and I am not happy. <laughs> Hellcat. Thanks for the reminder. Because he's gone through like three artists now and you might not recognize him this time. Yeah, it's true. He really looked like Telly Savalas with hair on top the yeah. first time he showed up. And now it's just like fairly generic guy. But he's, you know, kind of yelling at Hellcat like it's her like it's the defender's fault for all these villains having wrecked the stock exchange and the Staten Island Ferry and, and everything. And everyone's walking away with like their heads in their hands because every you know their heads hurts from psychic uh, Hellcat psychic blast. Psychic blast. Yeah, even Hercules doesn't look too good, and he he's one of the tougher characters out there. But you know he's going, oh, my aching head. It's like I half drank one too many flagons of mead. <laughs> you uh, know it, what? what yeah. What surprises me is nope that nobody stays you know you would have thought this would have been an opportunity especially since essentially without the hulk we're down to like three defenders that it would have been an opportunity to 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 handpick one of these characters uh-huh to stick around and i was sort of like surprised that like they all kind of decide we're we're we're, we're not going to stick or, you know we're 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 all all done right right like mo i can understand like a lot of them going like screw this i'm out of here but Hercules seemed to really want to hang out. Yeah. Hercules would have been my my bet for who was going to remain with the team. Right. Yeah, he's not but doing no. anything else. Yeah. And he's a fun character with Hellcat, actually. I thought they had a good interaction, kind of. Anyway, they all get up out of the subway. And this is the most abrupt transition, I thought, in the middle of this page. Like Lieutenant Keating is sort of walking Hercules away, and Hellcat goes, "Well, there goes the ball game." Meaning, you know, attractive men are leaving. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what she means. Yeah, but it's really it's like I mean that that's that's um I don't know I mean just I don't know just thinking about uh, Hercules walking around in his short little toga, and there goes the ball game. It's just. It's weird. <laughs> It made me laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's true. But just wait till some of the stuff she says later in the issue. Oh, yes. Yeah. She runs up out of the subway and goes, oh, well, besides in all this excitement, she jumps into the car. I forgot about the letter Iron Man gave me. Rip. Hey, it's from Millie the Model. Let's go see her. Vroom. It's like frantic action. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's very abrupt. But you know, and she should have said, "No use crying over spilled mead." I mean, like you're you're like, <laughs> I mean, you, you gave me that idea. It's like it's like spilled milk. You got to put a little twist on it. Yeah, really, that's funny, man. So she floors the car. She takes off out of nowhere, and then we cut to Red Guardian, who's still locked up, and 
is trying to figure out what she's going to do. And, you know, is she ever going to get out of here? What about her friends? And I remember when I was a child and I knew other children and now I'm, the defenders were like my only friends, but, and then suddenly she hears a, you know, uh, Red Guardian, can you hear us? Over the <laughs> intercom. <laughs> what I was hoping, what I was hoping at this point was yep. she'd be thinking about her origin. I, me yeah, too. I was cheated. so hoping. <laughs> still feel cheated. Yeah, I know. And that one panel of her with the kids and she's little kids and she's going, I was so happy to be of service to others. I was like, come on. It's like, was she in, she was in It's a Small World? <laughs> it looks like it. <laughs> so over the intercom, she gets the message that we found codename Sergey in the Forbidden Zone. It used to be called the Forbidden Area, but uh, now it's the Forbidden Zone, we've decided. And it's in 3D. <laughs> we need you. And he's reactivated a deadly radioactive disease strain. And basically, we need you to go and t take care of it and stop him. Radioactive disease strain was my punk band. <laughs> yes. So um, she goes, of course, I live to serve. And she goes, takes off out of the cell and flies away because I guess she flies now. So she flies away. She does not have a costume that really makes me think flight, but whatever. Well, now she can do anything, though. She's filled with That's nuclear true. power. She was floating. As we all and, know, yeah. nuclear power allows you to do anything. <laughs> <sighs> Except lose your hair and die, apparently. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It's just like, this is really the anything power. Because... Like on the next page here, top three panels, she says, yes, I will take this assignment. I cannot refuse. She leaves the thing. Panel four, she flies out from the, behind the um, fence like of the facility. Pa panel five, she's flying over the forbidden area. And then panel six, she sees the giant blobby amoeba with Sergei floating in the middle like it's a jello mold. Right. <laughs> I didn't even see that the first time. The oh, yeah, he's in there. Man. So it's his chair. It's his chair. <laughs> and, and he's in there, apparently conscious enough to think, you know, he sees her and goes, oh, oh no, he didn't see her yet. He, but he's going like, this is how it ends. Misguided ambition. For my actions, I deserve death. And she starts blasting away at the amoeba. But the amoeba reaches out a pseudopod. Yes, that's what it's called. I forgot that uh, last time, but they've used the term the term here, and you know, glorps her up so that she's now inside the amoeba near Sergey. Right, and why? Okay, when she speaks, she's in carrots. But I guess when she's thinking, it doesn't have to be translated. Yeah, I but when she so. thinks the word Sergey on the other page, it's inside carrots. It's 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 very bizarre. That is really odd. Then we cut back to the uh, Kyle Richmond Writing Academy, named for Kyle Richmond. And <laughs> Nighthawk and Valkyrie are landing. Valkyrie's on Aragorn. And she's um, talking to Nighthawk. And, and Nighthawk's basically saying, hey, you did good. We've got a great future together. We're going to do good, so great. And she kind of says, just get, you know, just give me some space here, will you, buddy? Her head's spinning. She doesn't feel good. And so... He just thinks that she's snapping at him in bad temper and not because she feels bad. So she says, fine. So he says, fine, I'm going to go do some work over here if you need me. But she is 
fighting the urge for battle, the battle lust that's seizing her again. And uh, Kyle goes back to the front of the building and puts up a big sign where, which he paints on, which seems to be just sort of floating in front of the sign, painting it. It's like, dude, paint it first, then put it up. Then hang this. It says, scram superheroes, no more defenders needed. And then um, he hears Aragorn making frantic it's, noises. Sorry. It's the, it's the He Defenders Heroes Haters Club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Aragorn's having a, a is getting Aragorn's getting upset, and Nighthawk flies back over to Valkyrie and sees her attacking the water trough because he she thinks it's something else like a boat or whatever. I it's hard to tell. So he sort of tips her over into it, thinking that the the water will bring her out of the cold water will bring her out of her spell and it kind of does but then she collapses and says help me as she's collapsing Nighthawk says I knew I should have taken her to the hospital but no I didn't I'm going to get you some professional help and then we cut to <laughs> Hellcat arriving at Glamour Girls Inc which I guess is the name of Millie the Model's fashion agency or modeling agency and I looked it up, by the way. Millie, the model, has a last name. It's Collins. Millie Collins. Millie Collins. Good to know. Yes, because uh, that last name, the model, is a little goofy. <laughs> Le model. Yeah, Le model. <laughs> so Hellcat, you know, is still in her costume and everything, and she immediately just takes off her mask and says, It's me, Patsy. And Aunt Millie says, Patsy, you're as beautiful as ever. And Patsy says, I'm, ug- I'm ugly. You're still skinny. I'm fat. You haven't changed a bit. Neither of you. It's a little weird. Yeah, I mean, supposed to. I mean, it's it's his idea of what women talk like to each other. I guess so. Maybe you know the the, yeah. the sniping back and forth. But the part, but also tracking this storyline, it began when Iron Man delivered a letter. <laughs> yes, that that clearly Millie the model sent to Avengers Mansion for. Right. Patsy Walker, so somehow she knew Oh yeah. that that's how you contact Patsy Walker. Wow. Yet is surprised that she's an Avenger. You're right. That is weird. I mean, I know she, she did go see them as, you know, I mean, it's possible, you know, she said, oh, this whole Roxanne thing is really going crazy with Buzz. But then, then uh-huh. she would know about the situation because that that would you know because she did somehow wind up as a civilian with the Avengers on that mission and was friends with right. the Beast. I mean, yes. perhaps Millie knows she was friends with the Beast, so sent the letter to the Beast at Avengers Mansion. You, this is a lot of work you're doing. I'm I'm doing a lot of work but, <laughs> to try to make this all make sense. But, but I remember thinking about Iron Man delivering that letter, and I thought, oh, this is going to be this is going to have to like really lead to something, but it leads to this little... I mean, it's a fun two-page scene. Well, supposedly it's leading further, but we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. That's the story of the Defenders. There you go. <laughs> the model's just going to get run over by, the, by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Millie's asking about her, her marriage with Buzz, and Patsy says she doesn't want to talk about it. Then... Millie says, what have you been doing? And Patsy says, well, I was an Avenger, now I'm a Defender. And then Millie starts talking to her about, you know, 
you could be a model with my agency. I want to mention that Millie says, what are those groovy hero guys really like? And she's, and Patsy says, they're super. They're the bee's knees and real sharp too. They don't call me the hunk loving Hellcat for nothing. <laughs> they don't, huh? Is that what they call you? Hunk loving Hellcat. That would be, I'd love to see that on the front of a Marvel comic. You know, introducing <laughs> the hunk loving Hellcat. <laughs> So anyway, Millie's got Patsy half-talked into going back to modeling or becoming a model and seeing the world and being all, having all, all these, these glamorous times. And look at how well it paid off for me, Millie says. I'm the head of my own modeling empire. It's like, you were sitting at the reception desk, lady, when, when she came in. <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. It's, it does look like it, right? Yeah, because how did she get past that? Is that is interesting? Yeah, I think well, I think it's just to a me, shortcut. You know, I, I wasn't sure how to read. I wasn't. I was reading part of the scene, but again, I think I may have um, not been reading it the right way. But I, th I thought part of I, it was that what Patsy is offering, or what um, Millie is offering Patsy, Patsy's already seen so much more. You know, I'm offering you the world. Well, she was on Titan with you know with Moondragon or whatever. You know, you're going to see all these, you know, famous people. And it's like, I've been hanging out with Captain America and, and Thor and Iron Man. So I, so I wasn't sure because, but I mean, there's a great look on her face, but it, it, it yes. is, it is, I think it's supposed to show, as you say, some sort of like, does she miss that life? Would she want to go back? But she has yeah. this other thing, but I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, modeling sounds so much better than being a superhero. Well, it doesn't, the page does not exactly end with, with, you know, Patsy going, you know what? You've got something there. It mostly right. ends with Millie saying how great it is. Yeah. No, and then we cut away. And also I want her to say, hey, I was drawn by George Perez and Mike Plug, and you're offering me Dom Perlin. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if she was yeah, drawn I, by Yeah, I've had Plug. the best. <laughs> Not sure she was drawn by Don, Mike Plug, actually. <laughs> it was no, I mean, the, the, I think he did some of those those the beast stories you're talking about. She did right? one or two, yes. Yeah. She, he did like one or two. It wasn't many. It was a, anyway. Okay, so then we cut back to Giant Amoeba. I mean, Russia, uh, <laughs> where Red Guardian sort of semi-conscious inside the amoeba, and Sergey is trying to use his powers to blast their way out, but he's too weakened from being partially digested to resist or to do anything. But then he remembers that when they hold hands, they double their power. So he re managed to swim his way through the amoeba over to Red Guardian and grab her hands. Right, because he believes the only way to, that, that combining their power is the way to defeat the amoeba. Yes. So they get out of the, um, they blast their way out of the amoeba. She's sort of semi-conscious. He gets back in his command chair thing and holds her on his lap like the Pieta. And then <laughs> kisses her, and it sort of reactivates her whole thing and her power. And he says, Tanya, I love you. And then she sort of flies away, and the two of them spend two solid boring pages blasting at an amoeba. I mean, there's like nothing to it. There's not even a dacoom. There is a dacoom, actually. Oh, there always is. Oh, it ends with a dacoom. <laughs> okay. <Yes. laughs> but I mean, the only thing we really get out of that is that they're partnership has been renewed yeah and, you know but, i gotta in, in i'll tip my hat to our old friend sandy who early on you know brought up the feminist issues in 
in comics and particularly the Defenders. And the interesting thing is, it, the Defenders has had great strong women characters, yet the and the guys writing them, I'm sure to a T, would think of themselves as, and they are very progressive guys for the time and would uh-huh. probably think of themselves as feminists. But we kept getting, you know, Valkyrie in bondage. We kept getting, you know, we have Boy Crazy Hellcat and yeah. Red Guardian, who's his character who still hasn't been allowed to shine. Half her story has been about this this guy who's, you know, this atomic guy who's got a crush on her and wants and tried to mind control her to love him. And now he kind of wins her over in this way. And they're going to, you know, and she's, and she's sort of um, going along with it. Cause she's like, I'm radioactive. I'm never going to meet anybody else. Right. You know, like she could be cobalt man. She could probably get along. With cobalt <laughs> man. Yes. Um, you know, it, it would have been so funny. I mean, if they wanted this to be funny, which they pretty sure they don't, but it would have been so funny if they treated this like, you know, it's an atomic crush. <laughs> that you know, like, everything is just like the you know high. I can't even think of the the phrases I'm trying to use. Like you know, the power of our love is equal to a thousand megatons, or you know things. Like, right. <laughs> anyway, it's like Earth Girls Are Easy. You ever saw that movie? Yeah, yeah. If it were like that, I actually watched it again. It was on TCM like a, eight months ago or something, and I, it, I, it was fantastic. You know that kind of hyper blown up silly kind of dialogue right yeah it's got that valley it's got that a little bit of the like valley girl attitude too right yes oh yeah downtown julie brown (laughs) so now the two of them are on a hillside surveying the amoeba strewn wreckage in front of them the wasteland in front of them and sergey explains how he uh he had such emptiness and his ambition was power, but now he's humbled himself and he hopes only to win her affection again. She says, don't worry, you already did it. And then we cut back to uh, Manhattan where Ledge and Dollar Bill have made their way to Professor Turk's weird apartment. That's what Dollar Bill says. It's a weird apartment. Oh, yeah. There's a, well, there's a tree with like pot. It's I guess it's supposed to be a piece of art. There's a lot of yes. weird art. Right. Modern art. There's like a big Campbell's soup sort of drum with like a hand sticking out of it and yeah. light light globes on top. Yeah, and a tree with like pies on it. A few slices yeah. of pie. and Yes. I, I would like that tree. Um, <laughs> Who would want a pie tree? Pie tree. Who would want a pie tree? <laughs> Ledge immediately leaves and then Dollar Bill says, I need some advice, Professor. I'm on the outs with the Defenders. And the Professor says, sort of stammers his way through saying, unfortunate, but I'll um, help you. And that's kind of the end of that tiny little scene. And then we cut back to the Defenders, to the writing academy where Valkyrie is resting on a couch and Nighthawk says, I'm going to go and repair the water trough. (laughs) Instead Instead of doing something useful like calling a doctor. And I hope he... He, I hope he fixes it before he pours the water into it. I hope he does it in the right order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, she kind of wakes up and looks. There's a fireplace in front of her, looks at that and sort of sees shadowy figures in the fire attacking her. So she starts hacking and slashing at them. And then she sees someone she recognizes and she says, you. And then the last page of the issue. And I have no memory of what that can be. I mean, I I, start, I mean, I know what yeah, I, I, know I kind either. of know in general what's coming up, but I don't remember any particular 
characters. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to sort of go, okay, what's... Not me too. I'm looking forward to that story. Anyway, last page of the story, Hellcat arrives and Nighthawk and she sort of explain to each other how good thing we got rid of all those heroes, I guess. And then they're standing, Aragorn standing nearby and Aragorn disappears and then there's a big flash of light coming from inside the writing academy and when they get inside, Valkyrie is gone, but she left a note. She says not to try to find her and that she'll never see us again. Dun, 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 dun. Wow. Yeah. Next, the awesome menace of Olorus the Unmerciful and the mystery of God War. Anyway, end of the story. Not a moment too soon. Anything, anything else we want to say about these defenders? Well, oh, in this, you know, this issue, again, it's, you know, it's the thing of, hey, you know, where's the, where's the Hulk at? But also, <laughs> no letters page, again, and instead, and this time we get a house ad for something special is happening to the Invincible Iron Man. Wow. A new direction on sale now from same old Marvel, a new creative team. Now, time-wise, you know who that creative team is, right? Is it George Suska? No, it's no, not. not. <laughs> Was it like no, it's um... Ron Berlin? No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like David, and it's, it's Michelini, Romita Jr., and Bob Layton. So it, it's oh, they're just starting. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of like, which is interesting because this is this is what it made me think of again in terms of you know our, our personal journeys through the Marvel universe is right. I probably you know was you know my, my devotion to Defenders I think was starting to devolve a bit around this time i mean because yep. it, it's, it's a little bit more treading water yes. um but what kept you going and what did keep me going was that those that you know i think with that first issue is like him carrying the or him lifting up the tank or whatever is the cover 116 uh -huh. or whenever they started and it's right. like that and like that was the next thing you know avengers uh -huh. was still going strong because i think you had shooter and perez and all of that going on. You've got X-Men going strong. And now Iron Man, which had been kind of like a B title, is finally getting a really yeah. good, really good team. Right. And it's a good thing Iron Man wasn't drunk when he delivered that letter to Oh! <laughs> yeah. I always wanted it to be a little more like Barney when, it, when he was a sad alcoholic. Like that page drawn by Marie Severin that because uh, who was it who wouldn't, wasn't there someone who wouldn't draw it? Oh, I don't remember this. Oh, there's a, there's a, there's like a, I don't know if it's like even like a dream sequence, but there's a splash page of Tony Stark being like a raging alcoholic and the artist, uh -huh. I don't know if it was Ramita Jr. or somebody else, but like wouldn't, wouldn't draw it because he didn't think it was, you know, so they had like Marie Severin. So it's got almost like a cartoony, oh, you know, crazy look to it. Huh. It's one of those comic book legends. I, I, I'll have to dig it out. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I think we've talked and talked with Repulsor Rays. <laughs> so um, anything else to add before we say goodbye? I think we can only say Defenders Dissemble. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll get back to you next week. Just a couple of episodes left before we finish up the Dave Craft era, and then we'll talk about what we're going to do next. It's going to be different, but um, it's going to be something. Maybe it's going to be nothing. We'll, uh, we'll we'll let you know. All new, all different Defenders dialogue. Oh, I like it. All right. <laughs>
Bye-bye. <laughs>